We're headed to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I would look, invite you to join me there, please. Doing something just this tonight and Sunday, a little bit different than normal. I want to look at Luke, chapter 24. It's an interesting text that what he provides for us, and it's a post-Easter uh, situation <clears throat> that what we have in the story. Now, you, some of you have probably seen this program, Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, no? Okay, they, they give different details, and they, usually they pick up something that, that uh, is an event that happened, and over a number of years it's never been solved, such as these types of situations. Here in 1971, this young gal who was at that time 15 years old in Australia, she went to one of these different programs, never came home. And now, years later, this, the daughter of that woman who, uh, who had disappeared, the daughter wanted to find out more about her mother, who died young in life, at a car accident, and she was looking at different things. She thought her mother's name was such and such, and so she's checking it out. And all of a sudden, she sees a, an old missing person's photo and thinks, that's my mom. She did the research and found out that her mother had basically run away from home at 16 years of age and been gone all these years. Her family thought that she had died, and this young gal figures and puts it together in contacts and finds out she has a grandmother, some uncles, things of that sort. And so here you have some 20 plus years later, you have somebody getting resolved in some resolution of what exactly happened in their family. You have the same thing happen with these two gals. Their mother had taken them away from the home. She and her father and the father were having problems. She didn't show up for the court date, so the father was assigned total custody. She didn't want him to have custody of the girls, so when the girls were two and a half and one, she took off, headed out of state, changed her name, and for years and years and years, she raised the girls uh, out of state, down in the southern area, and only recently did the father find out that his daughters, who he thought were just gone, they only been reunited. It's unfortunate. The mother's probably going to go to jail for kidnapping her own children years later, but it's one of those unsolved mysteries that shows up years later. Here's a young gal that when she was only eight hours old, somebody came into the hospital and snatched her. Um, took her away, so she never met her birth parents. The woman who took her away raised her as her own child. She, the woman who took the child, had suffered a miscarriage. She wanted a baby, so she stole this baby out of the hospital, went and lived for a number of years, and here's this teenager, 18 years old, finding out that the woman she's calling mom isn't really her mom, but is a kidnapper, but who has been good to her, and she's finally reunited with her real parents years and years later. Here we have another situation. This gal was uh, 24 when all of a sudden this German lady disappeared. Family never knew about it. Then they found out that there was a body that was found, and they said, okay, this is probably her body, but they didn't do any DNA evidence. And a man confessed to the crime. Well, after a while, the man recanted of the crime and said he never did it. He was a little bit unstable. And years later, somebody spotted her on the street 31 years later and said, aren't you so-and-so? And they found out that this woman had faked her own death. She had wanted to get away from her family, and she didn't use any, of, any documents for all these years, no Social Security, no nothing. So they can't arrest her because she didn't use anything in fraudulent method. But her comment when she was found out that she's alive and her family after 31 years want to know what's happening to her, she says, I want nothing to do with them. Makes you wonder, there had to be a whole lot of stuff going on in that family household. But still, 31 years later and all of a sudden it's, here it's finally resolved. Here's one that's never been solved. 1942, 
were these weather balloons that had a two-band team in it. They would go up and down the coast watching for submarines and things of that sort. All of a sudden, one of these blimps crashed in the San Francisco area, landed on a house, and then fell from the house onto a car. And they never did find, when they came up to the blimp, they never found any bodies inside. The escape bar and everything was released, but some of the hats and some of the the personal um, items of those men who had been working there, they were still there, but they never, never resolved this mystery. What happened to the two pilots? Nobody ever knew. Nobody ever found out that whole part of the story. Some stories, they don't get resolved. Some do years later. Well, here you have in the Gospel of Luke, you have Luke writing right around 60 A.D., He is writing about events that took place right around 28, 29 A.D. So he's talking about 30 years later. He's writing to a group of people, including you and me, but he's writing to a group of people and he's trying to explain and give details so that these people will know the evidences of what happened. And in his writing, he's writing to a man in particular whose name is Theophilus, and he's writing to him and he's giving him explanation of the life of Christ and giving details. Now, Dr. Luke is a scientist. So Dr. Luke is going to give evidences and proofs to support the story of Jesus Christ. Of all the three, the four different gospel writers, the three synoptic writers, he gives details about some of the, some of the little details, some of the, some of the body details, some of the medical details. He gives some uh, more, more detailed or, or scientific information than some of the others do. And so what he's going to do in Luke 24, is he's going to address in the story of Jesus Christ some of the issues that are going on around 60 AD. By 60 AD, there were several several lies being propagated about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The lies were becoming popular. The lies were propagated by some of the enemies of the gospel. And they were telling falsehoods. They were talking about this, like these things. They were saying that Christ never did die. There are some records of some people already in that very early time in the church history saying that Jesus Christ basically passed out on the cross. He was, you know, so emaciated and so weak that he just looked like he was comatose, looked like he was dead, but he really wasn't dead. And their argument is that when he got put into the tomb with all the fragrances and all of the the, uh, spices and with the coolness of the tomb, after a while he recovered. And then when he recovered, he got up and walked out of the tomb. There are a couple problems with that story, by the way, okay? The problems are kind of like, um, there was a lot of people who saw him at the cross up close, yes? Can you remember any that would, in particular, make sure he was dead? The soldiers, because if the soldiers didn't kill him, they could be killed, Okay, so they were very, very clear. Yeah, we know that they were told to make sure the men are dead. Remember, they broke the legs of the other two? What did they do to Jesus? They put the spear in his side, and then Luke makes it very clear. When they stuck the spear in, he identifies that what? Water and blood. Okay, the pericardium was ruptured. And so he gives us that detail. The, um, the idea is that, the, that he was just kind of passed out. That doesn't make sense. The followers were very, very close in contact. It was quick, but they had enough time. They could have sensed if there was a pulse and, and whatnot at that moment. And surely if his mother who was there had known he was dead, she were still alive. They would have done something more than put him in a tomb to hide him there. And so he's there without any care. He's there in that tomb. And the biggest question would be for you and me is if this emaciated, weak person wakes up after being in a coma, most people after being in a coma and losing that much blood, what is their physical status? 
very, very weak. What's the problem then if he's inside the tomb? Yeah, how's he get out? With a stone that you can't push this way, you have to roll it sideways by in the trough. And so there's in such a weakened condition, that story doesn't make sense. But it did get popularity. Okay, and again, uh, you, you do and I understand this. Critics of the gospel can say the most foolish, inane explanations and get away with it. Okay, just because it's anti-gospel and it'll be believed. There's another lie that became very popular by this time that that is, and by the way, the Jewish leaders paid for this bribe. Okay, they told the soldiers, if you say this, we'll protect you from being executed. And so the, the idea that his disciples stole the body. This is still propagated. I've told you before when we were in China on our three different visits that we had a few years ago that this is what we heard by the Chinese. Oh, Easter time. Isn't that about the story of the man whose disciples stole his body? And so it's still very, very popular. It's still commonly held to. And Luke is going to write and he's going to declare, he's going to say, hey, I want to tell you a little bit about the disciples. These guys were in no condition to steal the body. They were in no condition to pull a hoax. They were in a helpless, hopeless, despaired state of mind. They were not thinking at all about stealing his body. They were so afraid for themselves. Yeah, exactly. They weren't worried about the body. Here's another lie. And this became very, very common by the time of 60 AD. There was a group of preachers, peoples, uh, philosophers that were in the Christian realm that called themselves Gnostics, knowers, knowledge. These were people who prided themselves on gnosko, that is knowledge. And they said that real spirituality is having this, this real superior knowledge. And you're above everything. And so what they did is part of their teaching, it was all about, you know, learning facts to a degree. And then it, then it morphed into this whole idea that the mind and spirit are everything, but the body is nothing. The body is inherently evil. Everything physical is evil. Your flesh is evil. And so some of them, in the beginning of, uh, of Gnosticism, morphed into monasticism, where you deny the flesh, where you put down the flesh, where you sleep on a bed of nails, you, you eat stale bread, because you're showing how real spirit you are by putting down the body. Others would say that God has nothing to do with physical matter, and Jesus would not have taken up a physical body because he would have evolved or elevated into this sense or this state of the spirit and taking a body. That would have been just, you know, lowering himself. So when he came out of the tomb, he didn't come out of the tomb with a body. He was a spirit. And this spiritual body, this, this, um, this, I don't know what else to call it, this ghostly spirit, that, that's what they saw. And so Luke is going to make it very clear, that's not true. Jesus physically rose from the dead, and he's going to give us some facts in Luke 24 that really stress the idea that Jesus had a physical bodily resurrection. You'll see that in a moment or two. And so here Luke is, he's writing, he's going he's gonna to give information to help solve what some call a mystery. And he's going to say it's not a mystery, it's a miracle, it's not a mystery. And he gives a bunch of proofs. And if we're going to look at Luke, let's take it this, uh, this direction. Let's read Luke 24, not only as a story in his account, but let's look at it from his perspective of he's giving documented evidence to resolve the questions of the day. And he's going to lay out, amongst other things, we're only going to look at one aspect tonight, but he's going to lay out, here's evidences 
that prove exactly the story of Jesus Christ just as I'm recording it that Jesus Christ physically died, buried, and the best part, resurrected again on the third day. And so he's going to give the detail. And this is important. Because some peoples, even in our day, there are some times that believers, they know and they've heard the story, they've read the Gospels, but sometimes we say, just, what if? What if, you know, what if there really isn't anything after death? What if Jesus never did really rise? What if God didn't forgive me? What if God doesn't answer prayer? Those what ifs affect different people at different levels. And for some of you, you've never had that issue whatsoever. You've never had a doubt. But for some of us, we run into these doubts at times when things just kind of never change or when things are changing too much or when all of a sudden a crisis comes into the family. And it's, will I see that person again who's passed away? What if it's, you know, we don't say it out loud at church. You don't talk like this at church. You don't say, what if it's not true? You don't say it because that that would tarnish our Christian image. But there are some of us who at times say, what if heaven, what if Jesus, because you hear it so often, discussed from a negative point of view, that sometimes that onslaught just wears you down and it gets those momentary thoughts. And again, it doesn't disrupt too long, but it's long enough to kind of shake you up. Or maybe there's somebody who, who hasn't even developed strong faith yet. It hasn't come to a point where, and they're saying, well, the reason that I haven't taken the step of real belief in Christ is I do have these questions. What, how do we know he really did rise again? I, I just read here in the last couple of weeks, or I read a couple of three or four different books on the resurrection. I don't remember who it was. But one of, the, one of the Christian philosophers made this comment to a friend of his who was from India, who was another philosopher, but of a totally different religion. And he asked him, he said, you know, friend, he said, why is it you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And he made a couple statements. And in response, the Christian responded and said, well, here, let me show you some evidence. And he showed him some evidence. And the man's response, the Indian fellow said, you know, that's very interesting. I want to think that through. But this much I will tell you. If this is true, if this is really true that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it's got to change everyone's life drastically. It's got to make a big difference. And everyone who believes it, it's got to change their world totally. That's true when you think about it. If we really believe in the resurrection, it should revolutionize our lives. If we believe that Jesus is alive and well. But how do we know that's a fact? How do we know? Well, the preacher said so. Okay, well, that's what my parents said, or that's what you know, I heard in Sunday school. What evidences are there that Luke is going to lay out, which are very important for us to just refer to and respond to? And some of you know this better than I do, and you could do this. But let me continue with the lesson, since I'm the one that got the pulpit tonight. And let me show you what he lays out. For those who struggle sometimes, here is Luke's response. Dr. Luke giving, giving a, from a medical point of view, giving a psychological support for why you should believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one, 
Okay? He's going to lay it this way. And by the way, he's going to give us several different documented proofs. So let's, let's look in Luke chapter 24. Let's pick up the story. It's starting at the beginning of the chapter. It says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, there came into the sepulcher they, the ladies, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. They found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in. They found not the body of the Lord Jesus. It came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Get, get it? They didn't understand it yet. Okay? They had heard about it, but they didn't understand it. They're still perplexed. Thereabout, there was two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid, why would they be afraid of two men in shining garments? Well, number one, if somebody sneaks up to you in a cemetery, isn't that enough? Okay, yes or no? Okay, you're inside, and all of a sudden these guys show up. Okay? Number two, these guys don't look like ordinary fellows, correct? Okay, it's giving us documented evidence. They look, they look strange. Okay, they're shining garments. Most of us don't have those glow-in-the-dark outfits, especially not in that era. And so these guys in shining garments, as they were afraid, bowed down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. Oh, they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest and then gives us who it was. Mary Magdalene uh, and Joanna, the mother of James, the other woman that were with them, which told these things to the apostles. And their words, verse 11, their words seemed to be as what? To who? To the apostles. They didn't get it. Well, here's, here's what Luke is laying out. He says, let me give you proof number one. Because now understand, these people were not jumping on this story. Do you get a sense that everybody's hesitant? The ladies were hesitant. The apostles are hesitant. Okay, what's one of the convincing arguments? Well, you have these two, the angels that are making the announcements. You do know this, right? That when, if we were living back in that day, we would have thought, if we were Jewish in that culture, angels are somehow tied to God. Yes? Is that a fair, fair statement? Everybody would accept that. In fact, if you saw an angel today in a bright shining garment, wouldn't you assume that this is a spirit being tied to God? And it would get your attention. Something else, they would recognize, these ladies recognize that these people have some authority. You caught the phrase, right? They've, they reverently or they, with uh, submissiveness, they fell down and they bowed to these people immediately. They're recognizing that these aren't ordinary grave tenders. These aren't ordinary grave diggers. These are different types of individuals that they bowed to the earth in front of them because of their appearance is showing might and a power. And you do understand if you were living in that day and you, do, you identified these shining brilliant characters as somebody angelic, somebody from heaven, you would obviously think this because this is all the stories you grew up on. Angels typically were bringing communiques from God. Yes? Through the Old Testament up to this point, they're giving messages. They're coming up. They're, they're giving you something from the mouth of God that you would receive indirectly. They, the angels, these heavenly beings, these powerful beings, these radiating beings that, by the way, when people saw angels, it wasn't rare for people to fall down as if dead. The angels... Uh, were so brilliant that people were sometimes tending towards worshiping the angels. 
Yes, that happened multiple times because they were such astounding and amazing characters. Well, these two amazing characters, they speak of the resurrection. They quote Jesus Christ. They say that he had predicted it. It happened. He is not here. He is risen. So Luke is giving us some of this information about these heavenly messengers who are authenticating or putting their stamp of approval, giving their eyewitness evidence, two of them by the way, they are giving evidence that he isn't here. This angelic announcement would bear weight in court. In a Jewish court, because how many were there? Two or three before something be established and you have two of them making it. So these angels are giving us some of that information that's important. There's a second factor. We don't want to discount. This is an important factor. It's called the empty tomb. In fact, the tomb as we know it, that that was in that spot. And, And by the way, the argument goes that the ladies went to the wrong tomb. Oh, wait a minute. If you're the Jews and you want to dispel the story that, G, that the ladies and the disciples go to the wrong tomb, what would you do? I'd take them to the right tomb, wouldn't you? Okay, if you're telling this story, and if Anne's propagating, I'm, I'm going I'm to discount Anne real quickly, by taking her to the right tomb, opening it up, and exhuming the body of Jesus Christ. So that whole idea that this is the wrong tomb, well, you could easily resolve that. Well, the point is, the, this tomb that they go to, it was sealed and guarded. That was a big, a big point in the Gospel of Matthew. Soldiers are there. It is sealed. Now Luke is saying, wait a minute, big stone. They're wondering how they're going to get this stone rolled away. And it happens that by the time they get there, the body is already gone. Okay? But if, if, if the body... The body of Christ was stolen. How did the disciples overcome the guards? How did they break through the seal? How did they do all this and leave the grave clothes in such an assorted array that it was neat, folded, everything was there? It just seems a little bit far. It, It takes more faith to believe the lie than it does the truth. Okay. And so what you have is this story that this tomb is opened. What I find interesting that Luke wants you to understand in verse 3, he says, they went in. He puts it in, a little detail. They went in. It wasn't like they're on the outside. They went in to investigate the situation. Look at verse 12. When Peter and the men show up, what do they do? Okay, they're going to peer inside. They're going to take that first-hand evidence. They're going to look into it. The word for Peter looking into it is a real strong verb that has the idea that he was peering inside. He was gazing intently. It's kind of like what you do early in the morning looking in the mirror. Well, maybe. Okay. Some of us just kind of yawn and pass, pass through. But that idea of really, really making full account of, you know, making sure every, every hair in the tuft is right. Okay, you know, you're looking closely. Peter is doing that. He's looking very closely. And they see, and Luke gives us the information that when Peter arose in verse 12 and ran, down into, ran into the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. He departed wondering in himself. And so they identified that the burial wraps are there in place. John adds to it that they were folded neatly. That everything was in, uh, in not in disarray, but in total neatness. If it's the wrong tomb we already mentioned. Okay, take them to the right one. So you have two evidences here. You've got the physical evidence. You've got the eyewitness, spiritual eyewitness evidence of the angels. Okay, we're going to keep on adding up. He gives us some more evidences. He says, okay, for those who might doubt, let me give you something else. 
Then he records in Luke 24 multiple appearances of Jesus Christ. Okay, we end up verse 12. Peter is wondering. This is in the morning. He's wondering what in the world is going on. We know from the other Gospels John was with him. Now let's pick up the story. Verse 13. Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was, and they give you the different length away from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all those things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden or hidden so that they should not know him. He said, what manner of communications are these that you have said one to another as you walk and you're so sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, Answering he has said, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which have come to pass in these days? He said, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and to be crucified. But we trusted that it had been he which should have, de- have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. And yea, certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and they found not his body. But they came to us, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the ladies had said. But him they saw not. Then Jesus says, O fool, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. They constrained him. Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took the bread, blessed it, break it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were open. They knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. They said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? They rose that very same hour, unusual, travel at night, traveled, returned to Jerusalem, found the twelve gathered together, and they said, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in breaking of the bread. And so you have one appearance right there. Then he goes on, and Luke says, Let me give you more. And Luke says, as they spake, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. They were terrified. They were frightened. Why? Look at verse 37. Or 30, yeah, 37. What, what scared them? They thought it was a ghost. Okay? I'll mention it again Sunday morning, but seriously. If a ghost comes into your room, what do you expect this ghost to do? Isn't ghosts normally associated with mischief, vengeful conduct? Do these fellows have any reason to fear what Jesus might do to them because they had denied him? Okay. Think it from their perspective. Do they want to see Jesus? <laughs> um, there's a fear factor here. They're, they're, they're not sure where they stand with Jesus. And all of a sudden they think it's Jesus, but they think it's his ghost. No wonder they're terrified. Now watch. What Luke is wanting you to understand that, that these appearances of Jesus show he is alive and it's really, really him. He did resurrect physically. Watch how it goes on. He said, why are you troubled? Really? Really, Lord? Will you ask that question? Why are you troubled and why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, what's he tell him? My hands, my feet... It is, what's your Bible read? 
I myself, very emphatic, handle me, see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you have seen me. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. So what you have is here the appearance of Christ. And let's just deal with two, in two different ways, okay? Some of the facts. You look at the facts here, when something, uh, let, let's, let's go in history. Are there ever claims of divine personages appearing to people even in modern, modern history? There are, okay? Let, let's go to something like Fatima. So several of you have been there. Some of on the teen trips, some with uh, other trips, that work trips. And at Fatima, I remember the story is three children saw uh, the Virgin Mary, supposedly, that appeared. And there is something consistent about the story that drew the attention. It was the 13th of every month, right about noontime. It was very predictable, okay? And those, that was some of, the, some of the support was the predictability of it. Well, here, let's throw it just the opposite. Was Jesus' appearance predictable? No. No. So it couldn't be mass hallucination expecting something at that moment because they didn't know the moment. They didn't know the place. He appeared several times in different locations, which seems to support even the stronger idea that this isn't just a phantom. This is a real person. He's in multiple places, multiple different times of the day. He's appearing for extended periods of the day. It's not like all of a sudden you walk past and you think. You think out of the corner of your eye. You see somebody. You see somebody you really love. And you crank your head and you look. But it was kind of like out of the corner of your eye. And it was just momentary. It wasn't that way at all. This is for an extended period of time. I mean, he tells you it takes, you know, he's saying that it took several hours to go from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And he was talking with them that extended period of time. There are many different people. There's the two to Emmaus. There's the multiple disciples that are in the upper room. In fact, Paul will write later on that there is up to how many people at one time see him? 500. 500 P see him, okay? So you have different people, not the same people, having, this, having the reoccurring vision. You have multiple numbers at different times. But here's the catch. They didn't expect him. They weren't looking for him. It wasn't like they wanted to see him so bad they saw him. Okay, let me, let me rephrase it. I give you the stories about how I get the heebie-jeebies in this building, Okay? Some of you have come late at night. You understand this building can give you heebie-jeebies. Okay? And it does it. It gets worse when I'm in a frame of mind expecting something. When I'm walking through here, you know what I mean, right? Because I try to creep you out at times too. Yes, okay. So if, I, if I'm leaving and she and Danielle are working, I might say something like, you know, don't let, you know, don't let some of the demons bother you or things like that. You know, just... So about that time when you expect something weird to happen, there's going to be a noise, okay? Because you've created the expectation. Did they expect Jesus to show up? Doesn't Luke say they didn't expect it? They didn't understand it? They're perplexed several times. Slow of heart. Peter is perplexed. They don't understand. They don't know what to make of it. That is, a, that is an additional proof that this wasn't exaggerated. This wasn't concocted by these people. This is something that is absolutely amazing. Oh, by the way, it's not like there's this figure just standing there looking at them. This figure has conversations. 
Real oral conversations. Now, not only are there the multiple appearances of Jesus Christ, but there is the actual physical appearance of Christ that has been stressed in this passage. When Luke is writing it, he's going to say, this is, this is more than just a phantom. Remember the Gnostics are saying, by the time Luke is writing this down, there are people saying he didn't physically resurrect, it's just a spirit. He's saying, no, 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 that's not true. That's absolutely not true. I want you to prove, I want you to understand. Luke says, he said, examine my body. He is holding out hands. He is saying, touch me, touch me, touch me, feel me. He is giving them opportunity to actually interact physically with him because he's physical. In this account, he clearly states, it's me. It's I myself. To make sure you don't think it's a ghost, notice how he says in verse 39, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as I have. This is me. This is the actual physical body that I have. Jesus physically resurrected. And then he says to them, this is an interesting thought. Look at verse 41. He goes on, and while they yet believed not, okay, they were still hesitant. They want to They want to be excited, but it's, have you ever been here? It's too good to be true. I might wake up, I forgot the mic was there. Okay, (laughs) I might pinch myself and I might realize, wait a minute, it's just a dream. I didn't win the lottery. That was just what I was dreaming about. They're, They're hesitant about this. Now watch what he does. Okay, and it says, while they yet believe not, okay, he says, have you any meat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb. He took it and did eat before them. Why? Does Jesus need physical sustenance? I don't think so. Then why is he eating with them? What, Jay? Exactly. Exactly. Doesn't it make sense to you? To prove I am physically here. I can digest. I can take this in. And I can eat with you. And we can sit there, and while he's digesting, what do you think they're doing? They're digesting mentally. They're putting this together. This really is Jesus. This is Jesus alive from the grave. Do you understand what that means for you and me? This is a profound thought. This man came back from the dead. Nobody else has ever done that. Oh, he brought back from the dead... Lazarus, but Lazarus died again. Okay? There was others who were resuscitated, but this one of his own power came back, healed, cured his body with an instantaneousness, reserved or kept the markings for proof of who he is. Outside of that, he is in great shape, speaking, talking, walking, conversing with us. This is an amazing, amazing picture. Can you imagine how Mary must have felt? Can you imagine how John felt? Did you imagine how Peter felt? How, Mar- how every one of these are saying, this is, this is our dream come true. And it's real. But Luke doesn't stop there. Luke goes on, he adds some more information. Um, by the way, Maybe I should take you to Matthew 27 for a second. Here's one of the passages that I don't have any clue what's, what the whole significance is about. But just before we continue in Luke, jump to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, somebody asked about this on Sunday morning after the service, and I'll give you the same answer I gave them. The answer is, I don't know. Matthew 27. 
Matthew 27, it says, and verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Remember when that was? When Jesus cried, it is... Okay, and then the earthquake takes place. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. And it says this earthquake, and it rent the veil. Now watch the rest of it. And the earth did quake, and rocks rent. Verse 52, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Okay, and watch a little bit further. And came out of the graves when? After his resurrection. So were those graves open for three days? What did the people do if all of a sudden the graves were open for three days? Did they walk around saying, it stinketh? Did they? I don't know. I don't know all the details. And then when they did come out of the graves after the resurrection, that's after Easter morning, these people who came back to life, where did they go? Into the holy city of Jerusalem. And then what did they do? Gail, I don't mean to upset you. Okay. You're thinking, whether I'm going right away. What if all of a sudden Claude came walking in? What if your parent came all of a sudden walking through the doors? What if all of a sudden a loved one that you worshipped with came walking through those back doors and said, hey, I'm back. What would you do? I'd run. I'd faint. I'd be shocked. Where did these people go? Uh, Here's what I know, okay? There's so many questions about this one account. So many questions. Here's what I do know. I know something very unusual happened in related to the death and burial of Christ and the resurrection. I know it was a miraculous event. I know it involves saints only. He makes it very clear. It's just some of the believers. We know that these believers went into the city. They appeared to people. To whom they appeared, I don't know. How many of them? I don't know. Who, what did they say? I don't know. I, I'm thinking in my mind they wanted to give testimony to life after death. They wanted to give testimony of Christ. I'm thinking in my mind that were true. They wanted to probably see Peter, James, John. Now, if I were huddled in the upper room, scared because the soldiers might be after me. And then I hear rumors that dead people are after me. Okay? I'd hide under the bed. Even if it was a mat on the floor, I'd get under it. Okay, so a lot of strange things are happening at this moment. But the strange thing is, these, these events took place. Some people came out of the grave, and I assume we have no information. It was like Lazarus that they passed away later on. But the, the situation is, there was supernatural stuff going on. Very unusual, phenomenal, miraculous events that were going on. So don't tell me that the, the resurrection of Christ was just kind of a fluke in history. Because if you want to call it a fluke, there's a whole lot of fluke going on. There's a whole lot of stuff happening where God is busy and making a point that this stuff's real. This spiritual stuff is absolutely real. And stranger than, than any kind of fictionary science writer could come up with. Then there's the testimony of the scriptures. Back to, Matthew, to Luke. In Luke 24, I want you to catch a phrase that shows up. It says down in verse 44, Jesus is speaking to the men. These are the words which I spake unto you that I was with you, that all these things must, what's your Bible read? 
be fulfilled which were written where? In the law of Moses, where else? The prophets, where else? In the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And then he goes on and says, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day. Now that's not the first time in this day that he's talked about scriptures. Back up to the road to Emmaus. In verse 25, You fool, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he goes on, verse 27, Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures. The point is this. The scriptures give testimony of Jesus Christ. And Luke is saying, now wait a minute, I'm, I'm in a court of law. I'm giving you evidences. CSI evidences. I'm giving you eyewitness of, of angels. I'm giving you tomb evidence. I'm giving you appearance evidences. I'm giving you the body, bodily evidence of Jesus, that he was dead, he's alive. I'm giving you evidence of other miraculous things going on at this moment. I'm giving you evidence from the Bible. The scriptures, and he appeals to the scriptures multiple times in this text that they had to be fulfilled. They had to happen. In other words, Jesus is believing the Bible. He's believing everything that they were there that was said. He saw the Bible as authoritative. He said, must be fulfilled. These had to be fulfilled. Jesus purposely sought to follow the scriptures. And he said that these scriptures, their main primary focus is not about giving us information on how to handle problems, though they do. Not giving us just information on how to handle finances, which they do. They're not giving us information purely about raising kids, which they do. They're not giving us information just about how to do church, which they do. The primary focus of scriptures is on Jesus. It's about him. He is, the, he is the ultimate centerpiece of the scriptures. And he says, that's what they're about. They're talking about me. They're telling about me. I am the focal point. He is the man. He is the God. He is the one who is totally different than any other religious prophet, preacher, or priest. He's unique. The scriptures surround his story. They tell his story. And everything predicted about him came to pass. All the prophecies. So Jesus is this unusual character because of all the fulfillment of prophecies, because he came back from the dead. He is alive. And so he's giving all this proof. The bottom line of where John Luke is trying to take us is we need to believe on Jesus Christ and not doubt him. And then he gives another, another example or another witness here that he could throw onto the docket. And it's not one that he specifically identifies and points to, but it's there in the story. It's the change in the disciples. Watch what I mean by this. These disciples, as you go through with these guys, they start off in verse 12. They have doubts. They're, they're unsure when Peter looks in the tomb. He still doesn't figure it out. When they're walking down the road, they say, yes, yeah, some of the ladies told us down verse 22, 23. They came and we still don't, we can't figure out what they were talking about. We read in verse 37, they're terrified. They're affrighted. They're, they're really scared. They're just, you know, Jesus has to say, stop being afraid. Why? Because these fellows are terrified. They've, I mean, Seriously, what words would you use to describe them? Sheepish? Terrified comes to my mind. Confused comes to my mind. Perplexed is what the scripture says. They just, they, 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 they are not grave robbers. They're not in the mindset to be stealing from the tomb. They don't know what they're doing from one minute to the next. Their life has just been, well, how do you say it? Your life is like this. You say it's like a roller coaster. 
You have a moment up, you have a moment down, you have a moment up, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, whoa. They don't know which way is up by the end of this day. They are just absolutely befuddled. They aren't sure. They just don't know what to think. They are, you know, quite, quite down in the dumps. If you, there's a gal. Any of you ever hear this gal, Kathy Ormsby? Um, Sports Illustrated did a, pub, a paper on her, uh, a lead article a number of years ago. She's a junior at North Carolina State. She's leading in all the track and field contests for long distance running at that time. She was our great hope for the Olympics as the United States runner. And she had this, she's an A student, dean's list, valedictorian, headed in high school and top of the class in college in her junior year. And everything in her life's going great. She has uh, just been at the Penn Relay uh, race down in Philly just the, in April of, of 86. And she had set track records and qualified for the 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 meter race. And so she was expected to win this big college championship in May in, uh, in, um, in Indianapolis and then represent us in the Olympics. She's running in the race, and while she's running, she isn't in the lead like they thought. She's in fourth place. She's only a few steps behind the three that are running as they've entered back into the stadium at the uh, Indiana University. And as they're going around, she's not catching up, not catching up, and all of a sudden she ducks underneath the pole, runs across the inside of the oval, runs across the track, up the stands, and out one of the exits. They were just perplexed. People didn't know, but they thought, you know, something might have happened. But nobody followed her. She ran a block and a half away to to a bridge and jumped off the bridge. This 20-year-old girl, at the peak of her career in college, she attempted suicide. She failed. She failed. She only broke her two legs, paralyzed. And uh, she started a ministry afterwards to minister to different peoples who were going through depression from a Christian perspective. But she said that she was just so disappointed in herself. After all of her expectations, she hadn't achieved them yet. Talk about self-induced pressure, huh? I wonder if the disciples didn't feel like Kathy Ormsby right about this time. The night that they were with, last time they had supper with Jesus, they said, we will never, ever deny you. We will even die for you. And then what did they all do a couple hours later? They all ran. They all ran. Think they felt a little suicidal. And so they, here they are. These, the, every, every word we get, they're confused, they're depressed, they just don't know what they're talking about, what they're going to do. And so you have all these words, but then all of a sudden, it says that when these guys all of a sudden hear Jesus, and he speaks, and he talks with them, all of a sudden jump to the end of the story. And it came to pass, oh, let's go to verse 50. He led them out as far as to Bethany, lifted up his hands, blessed them. It came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Is there an attitude change in verse 52? They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with what? And they were continually where? The temple is the, is the place you want to hide from. That's where your executors are. What does that imply to you? Boldness. Real bravado. Real courage. They're out from underneath the bed. And then, what's their attitude? Not only bold, but what's the end of verse 53? And I'm not saying the amen before that. 
Is their attitude depression? Is their attitude discouragement? Is it pondering and wondering and confusion? No. Yeah, they're praising. These guys are out there and these guys are at the forefront starting to to just turn the world upside down. Why? Because of change that came in their life. That's an evidence. That's proof that Jesus was real. He made a real impact, a real difference, a lasting difference, one that they would even die for. You, you take the whole story and put it all together. What have you got? Okay, Luke's, Luke's story can be kind of brought down into these few sentences. Okay, That when we are facing moments of doubt, questions about is it real? Is he real? Is, is it real we're going to get together with family one day? Or is this just a hope so tale? When you put it all together, here's what we come up with, okay? That's very important. We would learn these. The story of Jesus Christ is real. It can be denied, but it is real. Even the most incredible part of his story, his resurrection was a real physical resurrection from the dead and then an ascension to heaven. That makes him unique. That makes him God. That makes him the one we ought to worship and obey and believe in. There's another fact that's here. Okay, it's this. The words and predictions, promises of Jesus Christ are real. He said this would all happen. He said you'd betray me. He said you would deny me. He said that I will rise again. He said I will go unto my Father. He said I will make you to be fishers of men. Everything he said is true. You can believe him. We can trust him. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to second guess. It is all true and real. This idea that the graves are opening and the angels are appearing gives us this fact. The miraculous intervening work of God is real. There are real spiritual happenings in this world. God is at work. Even in the darkest, dimmest moments, God is still at work. They are real events. There is that real spiritual world. God is doing some amazing things. And frankly, you can look in your own life and see some of those amazing events already. This leads to one other thought, okay? Our future with Jesus Christ is a real event. It is true, and it will be tremendous. If we have our faith in Christ, if we continue to just fix our minds on him, it will be more glorious and more phenomenal than we can ever understand in this life. But you have to have faith in Christ. You have to be a believer in Jesus Christ that comes by repentance, faith in him, calling upon him. And then, after you've become that believer, grow in grace, grow to be one where you are walking by faith, not by sight. You know what I always think is so amazing? just happened a few weeks ago. North Carolina wins the national championship. And so they get the team trophy. But what amazes me more about these sports events is these next two pictures. The crowd. What are the, what are the, the people in the crowd doing? We're number one. We're number one. I'll guarantee that big guy with the blue hair, he didn't play. He wasn't on the court. How come he gets to be in the exciting conclusion? But he wasn't out on the court. Because he's, he's, belie- he's believed in his team. He supported his team. Listen, we're not on the court of, of life and death. Jesus was. But because we're part of his team, we can declare we're with number one. 
We're going to be with him. Live by faith, guys, not by sight. We just need to believe. It's true. What we preach and what we are sharing and what we are holding to is not a fable, is not a myth, is not a hope so. It's a fact. It's a fact. Jesus Christ is God. He is alive. He's coming back for us. Lord Jesus, come. Yeah.